Welcome to the teaching ministry at Calvary PSL. Here's Pastor Mike with the message, Fruitful Faith. All right, so Peter and Paul, I know you guys are all very familiar with them. Peter and Paul were just absolutely amazing apostles, and these guys were greatly used by the Lord in their generation. When we read about them in the Acts of the Apostles, we see in that book, and by the way, I taught through that book I think three years ago, and you can go back and listen to it um, if you want to, um, but when you, when you read through the Acts of the Apostles, you see that chapters one all the way through chapters tw uh, chapter 12 is primarily about Peter, the author of the book we're gonna study here in a moment. And then chapters 13 all the way to chapter 28 is primarily about Paul. Of course, Paul writing most of the books in the New Testament. And so Paul became such a dominant figure in the second part of Acts that we only see Peter's name one more time in the book in that second part, and that is in Acts chapter 15 at the Jerusalem Council. And so the question is, what in the world happened to Peter? What happened to Peter from the Jerusalem Council, which took place, we believe, in AD 49, and the end of his life, which we'll see, took place in AD 67? What happened to Peter in the last 20 or so years of his life, right? Did he retire? Did he buy a house on the Sea of Galilee and put up his feet and go fishing for the rest of his life? What in the world did he do? All right, so before we dig into verses uh, one through 15 today, I wanna give you a bit of background about the book of 2 Peter. And while I'm doing that, I'll explain what happened to Peter in that latter part of his life. And so we're gonna look at some hints. We're gonna look at some hints from the New Testament. We're also gonna look at a couple hints from a couple of the early church leaders. And we're gonna see this. We're gonna see that, that Peter, he followed Jesus, ladies and gentlemen, all the way, not just Acts 1 through 12. He followed Jesus all the way until he took his dying breath. Peter was a lifelong follower of Jesus Christ. And so at some point, he left the massive church in Jerusalem. You guys remember, if you were with us three years ago, we were we started the book of Acts of the Apostles and we see the day of Pentecost, the church is born and 120 disciples becomes 3,120 disciples, that becomes 5,000 and 10,000, et cetera, et cetera, and it becomes this mega church in Jerusalem led by James and Peter. Well, Peter, he at some point left the massive church in Jerusalem in the capable hands of James Jesus' little half-brother James, and he began to travel in ministry. And, and we know from 1 Corinthians 9, 5, that Peter, at least some of the time, maybe most of the time, traveled in ministry with his wife. His wife was his partner in ministry. I just wanna say publicly, like I said last night, that I am so Happy, so blessed that 17 years and about two weeks ago, my wife and I came with our daughters and we planted this church. And for 17 years, my wife has been um, my support and 
always at my side and my sounding board, and not just a sounding board, but also giving me the sage advice week after week, month after month, year after year. My wife sees things often that I don't see, and so I just wanted to take this opportunity to publicly honor my wife and to thank God for my wife, because without her, this doesn't happen. And so Peter traveled some of the time, maybe most of the time, in ministry with his wife. He went to Syria. He went to Greece. We know he went to Italy. He visited Antioch. We see that in Galatians 2.11. He apparently visited Corinth. We see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12. And of course, he landed, settled, and became the pastor of the Church of Rome, and we see hints of that in 1 Peter 5, 13. Okay, at some point, uh, he was reunited with Mark. John Mark, the author of the second gospel in your New Testament, and Peter took the young man under his wing and he discipled him. That is so, so important. And we see that the gospel of Mark really resembles Peter And so what we believe is that Peter gave Mark the information for that second gospel. I think we went through Mark two years ago. I'm not really sure, but you can also go back if you're new and and watch and listen to Mark verse by verse. But what we see is that Mark, just like Peter, is bold. I'm talking about the gospel of Mark, the content of Mark. It's brisk, it's bold, it's blunt. It's just like Peter. Now we go to 8066. And so AD 66 is a very difficult time for Christians in the Roman Empire. AD 66, by now, persecution is just boiling over the Roman Empire persecuting Christians within the empire. If you remember from your history, July of AD 64 was the great fire of Rome. And you guys remember who Nero blamed that fire on, right? Christians. And that led to horrible atrocities. These are all facts of history that I'm giving you right now. But Nero would literally use Christians as human torches to light his evening parties. That means he would kill the Christian on a stake, put pitch all over his or her body, light them up, and that Christian would provide light, Christians would provide light for his parties. Nero was absolutely insane. The Romans also would wrap Christians like you and I. We're talking about our brothers and sisters 2,000 years ago. We have it so, we have it made in the shade in America, right? But back then, they would wrap Christians in animal skins and they would sick wild dogs upon them. I'm just scratching the surface. And so in AD 66, we believe Peter was living incognito in Rome. But it's just a matter of time before the authorities find Peter and lock him up, apparently torture him, and then martyr him. And so Peter knew his time on earth was short. We see that in verses 13 and 14. Can you guys look at that in 2 Peter chapter 1, 13 and 14? Peter said, I think it's right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up. I think it's so important that pastors filled with the Holy Spirit steer or stir Christians up like Peter did 2,000 years ago. 
to stir you up by way of, what's that next word? Can you guys say it, please? Reminder. I'll come back to that at the end of the message. Verse 14, since I know, Peter said, that the putting off of my body will be soon. Now this is interesting, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And so three, over three decades before Peter wrote those words. Okay, so right now we're about AD 66. You go all the way back to AD 32, 33, and what do you have? You have Jesus Christ dies for the sins of the world, is buried, and rises from the grave. And then he appears to his apostles. He appears to Peter. One of those appearances in John 21. You guys remember, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Well, the risen Christ had more to say to Peter. I want you to check out what the Lord said to Pastor Pete. Okay, this is the risen Christ. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, Peter, you're gonna stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you. Let me just hit the pause button right there. Uh, some believe that others have to dress him and carry him because he can't dress himself. He can't walk because he's tortured before and some believe stretch out your hands is crucifixion before he's martyred. They're gonna dress you and carry you where you do not wanna go. You say, how do you know that's true, pastor? Well, here, listen to the rest of the words of Jesus. This Jesus said to show by what kind of, what's the word? Death. Peter was a glorified God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Right? And so Jesus, in essence, is saying to Peter, Peter, here's what you need to know. When you're old, they're gonna come for you. They're gonna come for you, they're gonna find you, they're gonna carry you to your execution. It's not gonna be easy, but Peter, follow me anyway. Do you hear the Lord there? In our generation of comfortable Christianity, the Lord would say today that even though Christian, it gets hard, even though it gets difficult, you need to follow me anyway. That's the Lord's admonition. And sure enough, just as the Lord prophesied, the authorities found Jesus. They came for him. Clement, this is very interesting, Clement, who pastored the Church of Rome after Peter, sometime after Peter, Clement, who pastored the Church of Rome um, about up to AD 100, this is a very early guy. And he, he is writing, um, I believe, to the Corinthians, a letter to the Corinthians. And he, and by the way, this is just 30 or so years after Peter's death. And so Clement says that Peter suffered many trials and was ultimately martyred for the faith. That's an amazing, very early document, evidence about how, Jesus, how Peter died. A hundred years after Clement, you have the early theologian Tertullian. And Tertullian said that Peter was crucified, and of course, according to church tradition, other early writings, uh, we know that Peter was apparently crucified upside down, not feeling worthy to die as Jesus died. And so scholars believe the apostle Peter was martyred for the faith 
in AD 67, this is interesting too, around the same time as Paul. It's interesting because I've known that for years, right? Peter, Paul, we believe they died in AD 67, but then it dawned on me this week as I'm studying that these guys were both in Rome at the same time before they died. And so I don't know, maybe they were, cell, I don't know if they were cellmates, but maybe down the, the row, did they talk to each other? Were they killed like on the same day? We don't know, history is silent. We'll, we'll ask all these questions when we get home to be with the Lord. Um, and so about a year prior to his death, now we're coming to Second Peter, the Christian church is just on Peter's heart. He feels burdened for people like you and me who were living 2,000 years ago. And so what does he do? He writes a second letter. He pours out his heart in a second letter, a pastoral letter, the last known words right here. This is what we get to do for the next five or six weeks. The last known words of a man that we've grown to love. And I hope you do love Peter. And so right now, if you're looking at 2 Peter chapter one, verse one, can you say amen? amen. Okay, so please bring your Bibles to church and follow along. He says, Simeon Peter, or Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. All right, so if you're taking notes, I wanna emphasize here that Peter was an apostle and also a servant of Jesus Christ. So we're gonna start with his apostleship. Peter was one of the original 12. What does that mean? That means that he was chosen and he was personally discipled by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords himself. And ladies and gentlemen, that is a big deal. And not only that, but Peter and the other apostles they saw Jesus alive after he was crucified and after he died. They saw the risen Christ, they were eyewitnesses. And that is a big deal. Not only that, but Peter along with some of the other apostles and their close associates, they authored the New Testament. And guess what? They also performed by the power of the Holy Spirit authentic miracles. I'm not talking about some of the stuff that you see on TV today. I'm talking, I'm talking about legit, real miracles. Peter, some of the other apostles and their associates, they wrote the New Testament as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit and then to prove the truth of what they were saying, they performed authentic miracles and that's a big deal. Peter, along with the other, uh, other 11 apostles. I personally believe, um, I know it's not Judas, but I personally believe it's Paul. You may disagree on that. Um, but the 12 apostles, did you know that their names are gonna be written on the foundation stones of the wall of the New Jerusalem where we're gonna live forever and ever? <laughs> That's a big deal. And so also the early church knew that since the apostles were personally taught by Jesus Christ that man, they had to regard the teaching of the apostles with great um, importance and care. So that's a big deal. I want, you, I want to show you 
um, how the early church treated the teachings of the apostle. Check out uh, what the first century church did here. It says that they, can you guys shout out the underlined word please? Devoted. All right, so they weren't apathetic Christians. They didn't say a little prayer for fire insurance and then live for themselves the rest of their lives. These people in the first century were devoted, they devoted themselves to the, who's teaching? Apostles. If you see that, please say amen. <laughs> All right, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayers. The early church was committed to the apostles' teaching. And I, I submit to you that the church today should follow their example. And of course, the teachings of Jesus and the apostles have been recorded for us in the New Testament, and we're never gonna fully understand the New Testament until we get a good grasp on the Old Testament. So everybody, please look at me, ladies and gentlemen. This is what we should be devoted to right here. The Word of God. Okay, not self Help messages that appeal to so-called Christian consumers, but Bible-based and Bible-centered teachings that are written for Christian disciples. This is what we need to do. We gotta stop being duped by our current culture and think that the world revolves around us and I go to church to find out how I can be a better me and we gotta understand that we're disciples of Jesus Christ and that we're to be devoted to his teachings and the teachings of the apostles. Getting back to Peter. Peter was an apostle and he was a servant of Jesus Christ. And so he was an apostle, that's a big deal, but he was also a servant and I believe that's a bigger deal. That's a bigger deal. You know why I say that? Look again at verse one, just the first part of it. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Now what word did he write first? You guys see that? A servant, he wrote that first. And so I like that. I like that because long gone are the days when Peter, right, would be filled with pride. Long gone were the days when Peter would argue with the other disciples about who's gonna be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Long gone are the days when Peter would stick out his chest, right, and say, Lord, even though they all deny you, I will never deny you. Long gone are the days of self-promotion and unchecked ego and sticking his foot in his mouth yet again. And here's why, because for 30 plus years, Peter has been sanctified by the Holy Spirit. He's been growing in the Holy Spirit. And now, as he writes, uh, as far as we know, the last words, last recorded words that we have, He's a humble man in AD 66. And I just wanna ask you, as you continue to grow in the Lord, are you becoming more proud or are you becoming more humble? As you grow in the Lord, is it more about what's going on in your life or are you identifying yourself like Peter as a servant of Jesus Christ? And so think through that, think about how am I growing in humility? How am I growing as a servant and then we leave the first half of verse one, we move to the second part of verse one. He says, to those who have obtained a faith 
of equal standing, equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God, of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so regarding this statement, Chuck Swindoll wrote this. He said, in keeping with this humble introduction, Peter counts himself among the readers as having a faith of the same kind as theirs. Do you guys see that? That's important because yes, he's an apostle, but don't think that Peter had this super duper you know, uh, relationship with the Lord that I could never have. No, we believe in the priesthood of the believer. We all, you guys understand this? We all have access through the blood of Jesus straight to the Father's throne. Okay, so a faith of the same kind as theirs. That is, both Peter as a believing Jew and his readers as believing Jews and Gentiles have been equally called and saved and equipped to live the Christian life. And so Peter would say to the Christian community, hey, we're all sinners and we all need a savior. And our God, note that, our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, has revealed this faith to us which we have obtained. Did you notice Peter calls Jesus God in verse one? If you're just reading fast, you're gonna miss it. But I want you to look again at the second half of verse one. He says, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, who? Jesus Christ. Now regarding that statement, John MacArthur said this. This is, this is awesome. The Greek construction has only one article before the phrase, making the entire phrase refer to the same person. Thus Peter is identifying Jesus Christ as both Savior and who? God. So vital that you understand that Jesus is God. So vital that you understand that the New Testament absolutely teaches both the deity of Christ and the triunity of the Godhead. Because in verse two, Peter wants to differentiate between the Father and the Son. All right, so look at verse two now. He says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So now he makes a distinction between the Father and the Son. And then you say, well, what about the Spirit? Well, jump all the way down to verse 21. I can't wait to get to next week's message, by the way. Verse 21, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the who? Holy Spirit. We see this in the New Testament. And so God the Father, we see him um, in verse two. God the Son, we see him in verse one. God the Holy Spirit, we see him in verse 21. All right, so even though the word Trinity, the term Trinity, does not appear in the New Testament, the New Testament absolutely teaches the triunity of God. Okay, so there is one God. Please don't mess that part up. <laughs> Otherwise, you're a polytheistic pagan. <laughs> There's one God. So everybody say, one God, please. One God. He's eternally existent in three persons. We learned this from the progressive revelation of the New Testament. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. As far as their personhood, 
The Father is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Son. The Son is not the Father. But the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, absolutely, that's our one God. You say, I don't understand. <laughs> well, here's the thing. We're not called to understand. We're called to believe it. It's revealed in God's word. And so even though in our little finite minds we don't get it, we're supposed to believe it. Now here's my challenge to you. You put your faith in lesser things in life, so why not put your faith in what the Bible says? You put your faith in lesser things in life, why not put your faith in the doctrine of the Trinity? You put your faith in lesser things of life, right? You put your faith in planes. Every time you wanna fly to another city, you get into that largely aluminum tube and you trust that that thing is not gonna malfunction at 31,000 feet. I don't think you understand, at least most of us, the intricacies of aerodynamics, but we're still getting in the plane, right? And by the way, whenever I get on a plane, as I'm walking in, and I walk in the door, I put my hand on the outside of that thing, on the outside of that tube, and I pray really quick, God, please. You say, Pastor, when it's my time, it's my time. Well, here's the thing. We should pray for the pilot, too, because when it's his time, it's everybody's time, right? So pray for the plane and pray for the pilot as well. But we put our, th our faith in lesser things. We put our faith in people we don't even know every time we drive a car, right? You got a green light? You're putting faith in people you don't even know that they're gonna stop at their red light. You put your faith in, in a pharmacist Right, He's, the doctor scribbles something on a piece of paper. You can't read it, but you give it to the man or woman behind the desk and you're trusting that they can decipher and give you the right pills to ingest. Here's, here's my point. If we put our faith in planes and people and professionals, why can't we put our faith in what the Bible says? Just trust the Bible. Just believe the Bible. And the Bible clearly proclaims through the progressive revelation of the New Testament, authenticated by genuine miracles and the risen Christ, that there is one God eternally existent in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that is an essential of the faith. And that is something that the cults don't believe. And of course, many religions in the world reject that as well. But we stand on it because the Bible says it. Look at verse three now. He says, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. I love the promises of God. This is so good. So, so, you know, this should be something that you dwell on as a Christian. This is the apostles' teaching. His, God's divine power, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. Where do you get knowledge about God? From the Bible, the word of God. Through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence, verse four, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful 
desire. If you're taking notes, here's your next point. God's divine power has given us all things. Can you guys say all things? God's divine power, not our power. God's divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. We just need to grow. That's what we need to do. And so parents, when you had your kids, you passed along your nature to your kids. You passed along what they needed for life. But even though your kids received this life from you, they still needed to grow, right? And so what did you do? You gave your kid mama's milk or formula, and then as they continued to grow, you gave them solid food to nourish them and to sustain them. All right, so what's the spiritual parallel here? As a result of God's great and precious promises in verse four, we have received a new birth through Jesus Christ, through faith in Jesus Christ. And so when you were born again, you became a partaker of the divine nature. We should rejoice in this. When we were born again, we became partakers of the divine nature. What does that mean? That means that the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, actually came inside of us and sealed us until the day of redemption. And he's there in us forever. We are partakers of the divine nature, okay? And so he's given us eternal life. We have everything we need for spiritual life and godliness, but there's one thing lacking. What is that one thing? We still need to grow. And so just as children are, uh, receive physical nourishment, right, so that they can physically grow, so we need spiritual nourishment so we can spiritually grow. All right, so what does that spiritual nourishment look like? You guys know this. I may talk about this every single week. Have you noticed this? As newborn babes desire the pure, what's the word? Of the word that you may, what? Grow thereby. So if you're neglecting the word, pardon the bad English, you ain't growing. He says in, in Hebrews, but solid food, meat, is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice, so don't just be a hearer of the word, be a doer, to distinguish good from evil. It's the word. Did you guys see that again in verse three? His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the, I have it underlined, knowledge of God. Where do you get knowledge about God? From the word. <laughs> the knowledge of God who called us to his own glory and excellence. And so as God's kids, what do we do? We, we drink the word, so to speak. And then as we grow, we eat the meat of the word. And it's not just um, on weekend services, but we should be doing this every single day of our lives, just like we eat food every day of our lives. Verse five. He says, for this very reason, because you need to grow, make every effort. You see that? That's important. So we're not talking, obviously, about justification here. We're talking about sanctification. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly, Peter's on a roll here, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if, it's a big if, 
These qualities are yours and increasing. They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Peter was saying this, all right? Hey, guess what? You guys are partakers of the divine nature. You have everything you need for life and godliness. Now you just need to grow. All right, so what does that look like? Here it is, the seven qualities that Peter wrote under the inspiration of the Spirit is virtue. That's moral excellence. Knowledge, that's understanding and applying the truth. Self-control, that's restraining thoughts and desires and behavior before that gets you in trouble. Steadfastness, that's perseverance as disciples. Godliness, that's reverence for the Lord. Brotherly affection, that's familial love. Brothers and sisters in Christ loving each other, right? And then love, agape in the Greek, that's self-sacrificing love. There's no need for an in-depth explanation of all this. This is simple, this is straightforward, but I want to turn your attention to verse eight because in verse eight, Peter gives us an amazing promise. He says, if, it's a big if, these qualities, the qualities on the screen, are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful. Can you guys say unfruitful? Okay, so what is he basically saying? He's saying the seven things on your screen are fruit. Kind of reminds you of the fruit of the Spirit, right, in Galatians? They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we look at this list, we gotta ask ourselves, are these things increasing in our lives, virtue, moral excellence. Ladies and gentlemen, we live in a society of technology and streaming TV like no other. And that can be good or that can be really bad. So can I caution you to be careful about what you're streaming on TV? Because here's what I know, the homosexual agenda is exploding in our culture and it's all over the, the, the different streaming networks. Be careful, and not just the homosexual, but the heterosexual sins. Here's what you need to know, and I, I say this a lot because I wanna be very, very clear about where we stand as a church. Sex is a gift from God to be enjoyed exclusively in a um, marriage between a man and a woman. Period, <laughs> period. You say, that's not what the culture says, that's not what the streaming networks say, that's not you know, what, 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 what I hear at school or whatever. It doesn't matter, this is, we're Christians. This is what God says. You say, well, you keep preaching like that, the church is gonna have like four or 500 people or less, pastor. Okay, at least I'll be able to stand eye to eye with Jesus with a smile on my face. This is serious. Moral excellence is what we're called to. And knowledge, that's applied knowledge. And self-control, where we gotta restrain because we still have a sin nature inside of us, these thoughts, desires, and behaviors that could get us in trouble. Steadfastness, that means we persevere no matter how hard it gets or how unpopular we become. Godliness, that means that we revere the Lord. We don't just worship him on Sundays, but all through the week. Brotherly affection, 
um, brothers and sisters, loving each other in Christ, agape, self-sacrificing love. Again, they're, they're simple, they're straightforward. The big question is, 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 do we see this in our lives? And if not, the question I submit to you that you gotta ask yourself is this. If you're with me right now, say amen. Here's the question. Am I hanging out with the vine? That's the question. If, if, if you see that and it's not really happening in your life, am I hanging out with the vine? Because Jesus said in John chapter 15, abide in me and I in you. As the branch, that's you and me, cannot bear fruit by itself, those seven qualities in verses five through seven, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, Jesus said. He, he, he's the source of life. He's the source of spiritual nourishment. I'm the vine. You're just the branches. But whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. So those things in verses five through seven, those seven qualities are increasing. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. All right, and so Peter says, hey, you become partakers of the divine nature. You have everything you need. To, uh, for life and godliness. Now, you just need to grow. You need to produce fruit. How do you do that? You abide in the Lord Jesus Christ. Is this making sense to you guys? All right, it's not rocket science. Verse nine, he says, for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former Sins. Peter says, if you lack these qualities, these seven qualities in verses five through seven, you're nearsighted. Now, I am literally nearsighted. That means that if I do this, it's a blur. <laughs> Complete blur. I can't, I just see, I see people like they're trees right now, right? And so I can't see any of your faces. But if I do this, Wow, I can see your eyes, your eyes and your nose and your mouth. I can see if you're sleeping, right? <laughs> I see everything super, super clear. What's the spiritual parallel? The spiritual parallel is that as long as we keep producing with the help of the Holy Spirit, right? The qualities in verses five through seven, we see these things in increasing measure in our lives. It's kind of like our spiritual vision, Peter says, is clear. What does that mean? Listen to this. It means that you're confident in your relationship with the Lord. But if you're lacking in these qualities, then Peter says you're nearsighted. Things are blurry spiritually. Listen to this, the meaning of the cross all of a sudden becomes obscure to you and you begin to, to forget that he cleansed you from your former sins. And you may even start falling back into those BC sins. And man, you may even start asking yourself, am I really saved? Do I really know the Lord? Now on that note, look now please at verse 10. Verse 10, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent 
to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. All right, so here's your next point. Our past profession of faith should really lead to a present progression in the faith, which will show the authenticity of our faith. You guys see that? So different than saying a little prayer like a poem for fire insurance and then living for ourselves the rest of our lives. That's not what the New Testament teaches at all. And so what is Peter saying? He's saying if you want to make your calling and election sure, if you want to know that you know that you're saved, you want to avoid stumbling, practice the qualities in verses five through seven. So have moral excellence, understand and apply the truth, restrain your thoughts, desires, and behavior, persevere as disciples, revere the Lord, show family love to each other, show selfless love. Why? Because our past profession really should lead to a present progression which will show the authenticity of our faith. And to be crystal, crystal clear, so nobody thinks I'm preaching or Peter's preaching works salvation, listen, we don't do the seven things in verses five through seven to be saved. We do those things because we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Verse 11, he says, I love this, for in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance, richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You'll have an abundant entrance if these qualities are increasing in your life. This is an exciting promise. I want you to think about the Roman general during the Roman Empire days. He wins a great battle. They called this the triumph. It happened many times in history and he's coming back to Rome in his chariot. And as he's coming back to Rome, what are the people doing? They're out in the plaza, thousands of them, clapping, cheering. Got that in your mind? Got that picture in your mind? Okay, here's my question. Will your entrance into heaven be like that? The British pastor, F.B. Meyer, said, will you come into heaven unrecognized and unknown? Or will you be welcomed by scores and hundreds to whom you have been the means of blessing and who will wait for you? Think about it, it's a fascinating thought here. Because I know some of you are thinking, Pastor, I just wanna get there. <laughs> well listen, don't forget, it's only the blood of Jesus that gets us there. I'm not talking about how to get there, I'm talking about will you have an abundant entrance? And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that as you're coming into heaven, right, people are cheering, you're, you're doing this, right, like, yeah. No, you're gonna be like the guy, right, who catches the touchdown pass, the Christian guy, and he kneels down, right, and he points up to the sky, right, because as people are cheering you, you know there's no way you could have persevered and bore fruit and served the Lord without the power of the Holy Spirit. So all that glory goes to God. All that glory goes to God. Last verses, and we're done. Therefore, I intend always, verse 12, to remind you, please say remind, of these qualities, though you know them, (laughs) 
and are established in the truth. I think it's right, as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Thank you, Peter, for writing it down. Thank you so much for being a faithful apostle. But here's your, here's your final point. The repetition of truth is vital for our spiritual growth. And so moms and dads, in the process of raising your children, did you have to repeat yourself a lot? Yeah, right, over and over and over again, why? Because repetition is part of successful parenting. Uh, coaches, if there's any coaches out here, I mean, how many times do you have to repeat the fundamentals to your team, right? Over and over, drilling, 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 why? Because repetition is the key to successful coaching and winning, right? And so repetition is all part of Parenting 101, it's all part of Coaching 101, and according to Peter, it's all about Christianity 101 as well. And that's why I'm so excited, I have the privilege and the honor every week to stand up here and to remind you again and again, sometimes of truth you already know, to repeat the truths of our Lord Jesus Christ so that we can be stirred up together spiritually and keep producing fruit and keep growing for the glory of God, amen.